Romans chapter 16, 1 through 16. And again, we just a reminder, we do have new recording equipment. Thank you, Mike Olson, for that. And it is uh, it works, and it's on our church website. Um, so if you ever uh, want to listen to one of these sermons again or peruse back at our archives or any of the conferences we've done, visit lifespring.com. You'll find them under the sermons. Um, this yesterday marked um, in Minnesota was the state... Minnesota State cross-country meet. I know that doesn't mean much to any of you. I don't know if you had relatives or anyone you knew in it. Um, but to me, it meant a lot. I, I grew up, uh, that was a sport. I participated in cross-country and track, and I grew up in a, in a great, under a great program at Fairmont High School. And um, in 1996, I was a senior in high school. Uh, we were in the big class, so we competed against the big city teams, even though we were a small southern Minnesota school. For some reason, we were just at the enrollment level. And um, we had a good team, but not a great team that year. And as we came into the state meet, um, uh, the top two teams, the top two point getters, uh, uh, get to go to the state meet. And so there was probably, I don't know, 30, 40 teams in our section, and there were eight sections, and the big class, Class AA Minnesota. And the way that the, the, uh, the points are scored is the lowest score wins. And so if you get first place, you get one point. If you get fifth place, you get fifth points. And so they add all those up. And there was, of course, like any team, it was the top five on your team score, so the, or the, the lowest five um, participants or finishers score. And as we got to the end of the race, um, it was a pretty big, uh, our team was, we had two standouts, and then we had a, a pretty big gap, and then the, the next guys were good, but they, they, they would always finish, you know, about the middle of the pack of the race, maybe the upper of the pack. And as we got to the end, um, we knew it would be a close tie, or close. We knew we weren't going to win, but we thought maybe we had a chance of second. Uh, we'd been to the statement before as a team. A couple of us have been there as individuals and we get to the end and our coach is beginning to add up the score. And he looked at me and he looked at one of the other captains and said, I don't think we made it. Um, I think we're a couple, a couple points off. And one of our, I think he was a sophomore, uh, came to us. He was our fifth runner. He said, you know, I passed two guys at the business like, 130th, and he's like, I, I passed two guys at the end, and uh, man, I really sprinted hard, and we're like, well, that's good, good for you, and in the, you know, our heart of hearts are like, ah, I, I don't think it was enough, I don't think we we got it, and uh, he said, yeah, but I, I felt like I, I ran my best race, you know, and instead of, you know, 130th, maybe he got 125th, because he just zoomed past a couple of people at the end, and so we get to the end, and we get to the awards, and we had already realized we were in third place, not going to go, and um, they announced, you know, they announced like 10th place, 9th, 8th, 7th, 6th. And we knew, I think it was Mankato West had won easily. And we thought, well, we got to third and they announced third place. They said, third place, Marshall, Minnesota. And we just, it was, we'd gotten second. Couldn't believe it. And our coach had added wrong. And we got second by two points. So that fifth runner who went at the end and kicked really hard and he went from 130th to 125th. He was the difference between making it and not making it. And we ended up having a great state meet. And, you know, we were the, always the outstate school amongst the city school. I think we got 10th place in the state. And, um, but again, what did it, what, what's the illustration? Everyone matters. There are no little people. Every single point matters. Everyone matters. From the greatest to the least. And friends, so it is in the church. And there's a rule of thumb as we read scripture. As you read through your Bibles, do not ignore the lists. Don't ignore the genealogies. Now, you may not understand everything in them, and sometimes it requires a little back, Bible background, but they are there for a reason. And I want you to notice as we go into this, this is 16 verses of Paul greeting people, greeting this, greeting that, with an application at the end. And what can we learn from these lists? What do we notice from these lists? Every person matters. There are no little people in the church. My question for you today is, will you make the list? Are these super Christians or are they normal Christians who have been faithful such that Paul counts them as his friends, as his brothers in arms, as his sisters, as we're going to see here. So let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only do I give thanks, 
But all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apentius, who is the first confident to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles as they were in Christ before me. Greet Amplitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord. Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ancicrius, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, the brothers who are with them, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This ends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I, I have um, found in, in preaching, uh, I, I suppose at this point, quite a few books of the Bible over the last 13 years, and that's been our habit. We just go from one book to the next. So we probably have three weeks left in Romans. I have really no idea what we're going to preach next, uh, other than uh, some probably in the Old Testament. So you could be praying for that. Um, I don't. It's not usually some long, drawn-out process. I don't have 10 books in a row listed. I don't have my them all mapped out. It's all the Word of God. And I will say that to this end, I enjoy preaching all the books of the Bible. I, I particularly enjoy preaching the lists and the hard passages because I think there's a lot of things that really, in, in the hard passages of Scripture, often the, the ones that get ignored, you can see a lot of truth that is just so free to the soul and good for you in Christ. And also these lists, where there's genealogies or lists, you know, you're going to walk through them. We don't know everything about every person here, but there's some themes and patterns that, you know, they're not so much application. There's not all these commandments listed here, but there are implications. What do we glean from these? There's a human aspect to this. And as there is to Paul, in the details, there's a lot that's here that we need to recognize as a Christian. First, we're going to notice just the breadth of this. This is almost a whole chapter. And we, we need to notice one thing. I, my grandfather was 98 years old when he passed away. He would have been born... 1914, I think. Uh, he was a World War II vet, grew up in the Great Depression. Um, he was a master corresponder. That's what he did. I remember we had his 95th birthday in the nursing home, even though he lived independently because all his friends were in the nursing home. So we went over there and had birthday party with all his friends over there. And he, uh, near the end of his life, he was a technology. I mean, he, he was averse to all forms of technology. Somehow my Uncle Bill convinced him to to, to use a computer because he was able to redefine it as an email machine, not a computer. And Bill just said, well, it's an email machine. Oh, okay. He didn't want a computer, but he convinced an email machine. He learned how to email and every day. That's what he, spelling, he couldn't type hardly, but his, so his spelling was off. He didn't know how to use a delete key. So you got these emails of like multiple letters, you know, together, but you kind of got the gist of it. And he, but he, again, he had this, this, this wealth, he was a Christian man, this wealth of, of friends that he had, and, and then, you know, since he outlived most of his veteran friends, it was like the, the children and widows of all his old World War II vets. And he would just, all these different people that he knew, they came to his funeral over all the years, and, and in some ways that's Paul here, isn't it? I mean, this, he, we are near the end of his life at this point. Um, he's been a Christian for 30 years, 20 years. He's been preaching a long time and he's never been to the church in Rome. That's the irony of it. And yet he's got all these people that are in Rome that he wants greeted there. How is that? Well, one in one way, we understand that all roads lead to Rome. Rome was the capital, the eternal city. And there was a, a, a you know, back then it was very, in, in one sense for, for that era, very technologically advanced and, and organized. 
the Roman roads that were built that civilized and held together the entire empire, many of them are still in existence today. Some of them are still even in use today. And because of that, there was this huge amount of travel. They had put down a lot of the uprisings and even some of the pirates they had been in the Mediterranean. And so there's people are connected all over the place. But there's also a point that there's a longevity here. That Paul has known these people for a long time. And not only has he known them, but they've known him. And there is not just a general greeting, but there is a very personal greeting of all these people that he's ministered alongside or has known or he came under, were converted under his hand. But I want you to notice in all these things, there is all people matter. The Roman Catholic Church says there are really two types of Christians. There's the priestly class, and there's everybody else, the, the, the peasant class, or whatever they, they call them. Even in evangelicalism today, there's a, a, a bureaucratic um, guru class. You know, the ones who write all the books, the ones who speak at all the conferences, the ones who get the podcasts. And then there's the everyman, everybody else. When we say we are reformed with our theology, in some sense it's nothing less than just saying, what does the scripture say? What does it teach? How is it lived out? How does it order our worship? What are the implications for our lives? We want to go to scripture alone. From scripture alone, we realize the gospel of Jesus Christ is front and center, particularly in Romans. And from scripture, we receive, from the gospel, we receive forgiveness, adoption, and belonging but we receive belonging with a purpose. In the Reformation period, one of the fruits of the Reformation as they went back to Scripture alone was not just the gospel that saves, but also the, what the gospel creates. And they called, one of the themes of the Reformation was the priesthood of all believers, meaning everybody mattered. Now, is that just in one sense? One might say, well, you know, the, 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 the Priestly class, the Roman Catholic class had become so corrupt that maybe it was, you know, it was good PR to say everybody matters. Where did they get that from scripture? Well, I certainly don't think Paul thought of himself as a, as some sort of guru and priest, though they, though we might think of him as that, right? He was certainly at that point the most educated, the most experienced. He had taken the most beatings and yet look at the warmth of his greetings. He was anything but some high, sophisticated intellectual looking down upon his peasants. He was a warm and personal person. He was a warm friend. And all of a sudden, these people in these lists that never wrote a book of the Bible and you've never heard about anywhere else in the Bible, all of a sudden show up. What would it be like to make that list? And why did they show up? Isn't that a glorious thing? But Paul had friends. Friends, I want to say by implication, this is what the gospel creates in us. Not merely a sense of, oh, we should go to church because it's important. It's the Lord's Day worship. But as we see at the end, far greater than that, greet each other with a holy kiss. There's a warmth to our relationships. There's a personalness. There is no people who don't matter. And not only this, but we are commanded to greet each other warmly. We are commanded not just to bear with one another, but to like each other, to appreciate each other. Not merely working contracts with other people. The gospel creates a unity, a community, affectionate relationships with one another. In some senses, chapter 16 is the icing on the cake for chapters 1 through 15. All that theology talk about what is the gospel, what is truth. How is a person justified before the Lord? And in the presumption that if applied correctly... The church in Rome will also be frosted delightfully and beautifully as the icing on the cake. Meaning this good theology creates warm people. Bad theology creates suspicion. The more in-depth, remember, we have studied in Romans some hard passages. Romans 9, Romans 7, Romans 3. We've talked about sin and rebellion and wicked nations and election and God's choice. And yet, what does it produce for the people who are under this teaching? Not some sorts of egg-headed intellectualism, but a warmth of relationships between God's people. Jim Eliff, who was here a couple weeks ago, said in one of his talks, he said, Paul had 39 workers listed in his epistles, fellow workers. I heard another scholar once say that he never traveled alone. He always traveled between, they estimate between 7 and 15 fellow Christians and workers are always with him. He was no aloof, cranky scholar, but a warm friend. 
This list here, we recognize that Paul had many friends in Rome even before he had visited there. This list describes the makeup of a mature Christian. It's almost, in one sense, a parallel or precursor to, to Hebrews chapter 10, 11, which you read earlier. You know, the precursor of the Hall of Faith. It's another list, not of well-known Christians from the Old Testament, but of unknown Christians. And yet ones who are known to Paul because they were faithful. They were important and beloved friends. I want you to also notice as we go through this list, look at the variety. In a culture that really the, the, there was a, a high class system, including between male and female, the women were, women were certainly second class citizens, unless maybe you were upper class, but certainly no. Paul listed nine women here who are personally greeted and commended. There were rich and there were poor. We can see many of the people here by implication were either slaves' names or they were part of a household. They were enslaved people were former slaves. Most of the names, as I already said, were slaves or they were freedmen. They were former slaves. Some were royal of Herod's line or from one of the, one of the upper class Roman families. Yet there's also normal people. There were married couples, Prisca and Aquila. Probably Andronicus and Junia, we think, were a married couple. And Andronicus and Julio were not young. They were probably not just Oh, they were probably elderly at this point. There were families and there were siblings and there were several house churches listed. At least three and perhaps five. They were those who had shared the experiences on the spiritual battlefield. The stories in which Andronicus and Junia must have shared with the fellow Christians. Not only were they relatives of Paul, but they had also been arrested and imprisoned with Paul. What experience did they have in the faith? So let us walk through this list. It's a great list. And then at the end, we're going to make three, two implications and one application at the end. So let's walk through this list. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, verses 1 and 2. A servant of the church at Centrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help whatever... Help her in whatever she may need for you, for she has been a patron of many as well as myself. Now, I want to say this from the outset. If you've, if you've been around broad evangelicalism, you know that Phoebe has been used and abused uh, by the egalitarian feminists as, look, see, women should be preachers. Women are part of the church. She obviously had a title. She had a listen. I don't know if she had a title or not, if she was a deacon or a deaconess. She was certainly a servant. But what it does is when we do that, you make her a tool for the feminist agenda. Um, you, don't, you, you don't recognize what she was actually commended for, and that was her great character. She gets two verses here. Everybody else gets one verse. Or maybe, uh, it, it, well, most other people get one verse. Look at the gifts and fruits of the Spirit that are named. Wouldn't you like that on your epitaph? Look at the end of verse 2. For she has been a patron of many and myself as well. She's been a servant of many and myself as well. She was well-known to the churches. She was a woman who had been such a blessing to Paul that she is called a servant or a deacon. She was evidently well-off or of a higher class for she had used her finances to support the ministry of Paul and others. So whether you are wealthy or whether you are poor, you are to be a servant of the Lord. Young women, what would it look like for you to grow in such a godly manner that you are commended as Paul would have commended Phoebe? saying she's a valuable asset to the kingdom of God. Paul is not a man that just commends the other men, but he sees these, glory, these beautiful Christian women who are godly, who use their means, and he commends them in this passage again and again. So again, what we see here, far from making some sort of feminist kind of agenda where there's going to be conflict between the sexes, you know, let's prove ourselves. No, this is just saying, honor yourself and be a godly woman. Paul honored them. He utilized men and women in the ministry. Look at this. We, we move on from here. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ, who risked their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but to all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. What a blessing it is when a husband and wife are walking together in the Lord. We recognize that marriage is creational. But those who are, to marry, who are in Christ are to also marry in the Lord. 
becomes a Christian marriage. This couple worked together with Paul. We find that they gained income as tent makers, but also helped plant church. They they, they went on Paul's missionary journeys. They worked with him in Ephesus, which is where he stayed for the longest. In Acts 18.2, they were the couple that ended up um, discipling Apollos, who was a mighty apologist at the times who did not understand the gospel. And they led him to understand the gospel and explain to him the scripture. And he ended up becoming a mighty preacher of the Lord. Even their house had a, another purpose for a church. They risked their necks together. They were of one mind. They did not pull in different directions, nor tell Paul his ministry was too dangerous, or maybe only for a single man. No, she was with her husband in this, and they were, we don't even know what the situation was, but they risked their necks together. And something happens, friends, when a Christian's risk and suffer together. You have a story to tell. But the bonds also become stronger and the fellowship sweeter. We see this about a couple of people in this passage. Paul commends them. I don't know how many years after that, but he said, you know, I, I know that person. They didn't shy away. They didn't run away. They stood by me. Now, Paul was willing to stand alone. But how sweet it is to know that others were willing to stand with him. How much does that commend the gospel of Jesus Christ? Certainly, he was the spokesperson but at every town, he had people surrounding him, a small little army of Christians that said, no, we believe what he believes. And we're willing to go with him to prison or death if necessary. Greet my beloved Epaphanatus, who was the first convert in Christ in Asia. Have you ever been or felt alone as a Christian? You ever felt like maybe in your job or even your family? I'm alone. Oh, I'd love to see my relatives come to Christ, but right now I'm alone. Well, this man was truly alone, and yet he was not alone. His family did not believe at first, nor his neighbor, nor his community, nor the entire continent. And yet what a testimony all these years later that he persevered in the faith. He did not let loneliness or the fact that he was the first one now seeing the fruit of many other converts and churches all over the continent. Friends, this is also the power of the effectual calling and the promises of God in Romans 18. Or other passages say, who began a good work and you will complete it, carry it to completion. Friends, if you are to a degree alone in the faith in your family or amongst your coworkers, your neighbor, do not despair. Trust the Lord. He is commended for this, that he persevered. Somebody had to go first and God chose him to be first and yet he persevered in the faith. The Lord will not let you go. And you pray for blessing and you will see other people converted. We believe in the promises of God. Greet Mary, verse 6, who has worked hard for you. A hard-working, productive woman in the church. One of the nine women who are listed in this passage. She was probably Jewish, but perhaps she was Gentile. It was a fairly common name. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles as they were in Christ before me. Do you, you ever feel that in old age you don't matter? Maybe you don't have the physical strength. You're not producing children like you once were. Maybe you're sick more than you used to be. Frail more than you used to be, thinking about downsizing your house, not <laughs> upsizing your house. You know, retired, maybe you retired from earthly vocation and you kind of wonder sometimes life was purposeless. You ever feel like in old age you don't matter? We'll meet Andronicus and Junia. They were elderly. How do we know this? Their testimony preceded Paul's conversion. Paul was a pretty old guy at this point. They personally knew and were well known to Jesus' original disciples. Many of this, whom at this point had been martyred, they had seen, they had been some of the first to come to Christ, most likely. And now they had seen many of those apostles, many of their friends martyred and killed for the faith, and yet they continued on. They were still a valuable asset to Paul. They were well known. They didn't write an epistle. They didn't get mentioned in other books of the Bible. And yet the apostles knew who they were. They weren't the ones writing doctrine for the church, but they sure were faithful Christian. In fact, not only this, 
Retirement? Ha! Can you imagine being old and getting arrested for your faith? Fellow prisoners, Paul refers to them as. I'm reminded of that story that Corey Ten Boom re- tells in The Hiding Place, which you should read some point if you've never read that. It's a great book. One of my favorites. She tells a story, you know, at the point where um, World War II hit, or right before World War II, where Dutch Holland, where they lived, her and the Ten Boom family, it was Casper Ten Boom, the father, and he was in his 80s at this point, and his two single daughters, and they owned this watchmaking shop, and they were fairly well known as very good watchmakers, but they were also known for their Christian character. And they had, they were not young women, and he was not a young man, but at the, at all of a sudden when Holland gets invaded, they were some of the first, it was just their Christian conscience, of course they were going to protect the Jewish people. Uh, they were going to hide Jews. They were going to resist the Nazis. And the story is told that, um, and they knew, when you read the book, they knew at some point they would get arrested. They're going to get, I mean, as sneaky as they were, they're, they're going to get found out. And uh, they get arrested one night after they had protected many Jewish people and been part of the resistance. And they take them all off into the kind of the prison, the holding cell, and they're, and they're, they're um, booking them into, into jail, and they're going to send off them to the concentration camps, right? And they said as her father gets led through, shuffled, kind of this gasp goes up from the prison guards because they know who he is. He's a well-known, well-respected, everybody loved the guy. And they looked at him and they said, you know, you're an old man, Mr. Ten Boom. Um, we're going to let you go. As long as you promise that you will end these illegal activities. And Corey Timum says that he didn't blink an eye. He just looked at him, he stared him in the eye, he said, you know, if tomorrow, if you let me go tonight, then tomorrow I will open my door to any who has a need, whether he be Jew or Gentile. And they said, book him. And he didn't last long in prison. You know, he died fairly quickly after that because of disease. But, you know, again, he, 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 th- th- this is what happens when, when, when we build Christian character at a young age, when it's tested in an old age, whether it's prison or, or safety or anything else, we're still serving the Lord. And maybe Andronicus and Junia, maybe, you know, for their younger age, maybe they were really productive. Maybe they had not dealt with any persecution. All of a sudden it gets tested at their old age, and I'm sure like any, many would have said, you know what, just, just leave the house church. Just retire in peace. And no, they said, no, we're going to, God hasn't failed us this far. We're going we're gonna to continue on until the end. This is the type of list that you want to be on. Verse 8, greet Amphilitus, my beloved in the Lord. We live in a cynical culture. We live in a culture where there seems to be an increase in apostasy or um, former evangelicals or deconstructing your faith. And certainly any culture where we see an increase in statist, um, quasi-persecution, um, anywhere we see the increase of the sexual revolution, where we see Christians looking odder and odder to the culture, we are going to see a lot of wheat and tear being separated. We're going to see a lot of the murky middle or fake Christians leave and go by the wayside. And in the Bible, we also see the sad situations of Demas or even Diotrephes, who divided or deserted in love with the present world. Those, those who began in the faith or looked like they were beginning in the faith, and yet when difficulty came or the challenge to humble themselves. They put themselves first. But here's one who is called beloved. He endured in the Lord. Probably Amphilitus was a slave man, or he had been freed, but he was a former slave. So his name appears on the catacomb of Domitilla, who is the niece of the emperor Domitian. He may have been part of a royal family. But he was beloved in the Lord. He maybe was a slave and yet he was totally free. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Statius. Now, for you who are going to have children or planning to have children, this is a biblical name that is very manly sounding. I say this probably hasn't been taken lately and I would encourage you to consider. This guy sounds like Urbanus. If you have that name, you sound like you're a pro wrestler. Maybe he was Paul's bodyguard. I have no idea. All I know is it's a pretty cool masculine sounding name. Easy to spell. Your child will be the only one with a U. Uh, simple syllables here. So anyway, that's just 
freebie for you. Um, extra credit for application on this one. We don't know much about him other than he was one of tra- Paul's traveling missionaries. Greet Apellus, who was approved in Christ, verse 10. This is the name of a, another faithful Christian whom we know nothing about other than this. Verse 10b, greet those who belong to the family of Aristubulus. Aristubulus may have been the brother of Herod Agrippa I, and if so, he had died in AD 48 or 49, so it appears, at least from this. Again, many of these things are, are implication. Um, we don't know exactly, but he may have been part of the royal family. It certainly was a royal name. It was the name of Herod's relative. We see that God, we see in this list that God is pleased to convert all kinds of people from very surprising backgrounds. Herod, the one who put Jesus to death. Perhaps the Lord saw fit to save one of his relatives. Or maybe he wasn't saved. It says, greet those who belong to the family of Eratobles. So he may not have been a Christian, but either some of his children or his slaves or former slaves were. Again, in that culture, whether you were a, an actual biological child or whether you were part of this, a slave of that family, slavery is for life. You were considered part of that household. The household was bigger than merely the husband and wife. It included the children and, and the homes and the holdings and, and also the slaves were part of that. So evidently many slaves came to Christ, even out of these wealthy families. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those who belong to the family of Narcissus. Both of these names indicate well-connected people, probably upper class. Now, Narcissus is the name of a well-known freedman who served Emperor Claudius and committed suicide shortly before Paul wrote the letter. He had multiple slaves or family members who were members of the Church of Jesus Christ. So again, the family of Narcissus, we don't know that that means Narcissus was a believer or not, but many in his family were and to become Christians. Greet those, verse 12, workers of the Lord. Typhania and Typhosa. These are a little harder baby names to pronounce, but they are probably women, maybe sisters. These names mean delicate or dainty. So again, we have women, probably women, also probably sisters. Greet the beloved Persis, verse 12b, who has worked hard in the Lord. And wouldn't that be a great epitaph to be told? To be known as a hard worker? Worker in the Lord? In a culture like ours today, which honors sloth and purposelessness? I can hardly think of any greater commendation or reputation than saying, you were flaky, or you were lazy, and yet, for a Christian, we are to be hard workers in all things. Do all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord because even your works, even the works that you considered secular are not purposeless in the Lord. They have great purposes for the kingdom of God. So whether you're tending at home or working outside the home, all things are to be done in the Lord, but also when we work at evangelism, work at the church, we work hard for the Lord. He's a faithful man. Could have been a slave man. A slave or freed person. Greet Rufus. Now this is the one we're going to spend the most time on before we conclude. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have heard of Rufus before? That name might sound familiar in the Bible. We read a little section from the very excellent website, Got Questions, which is an easy website to look at. Um, The Bible mentions Rufus in two places. And we can assume that they both speak of the same men. So again, what I'm saying here is it's speculative, but it's 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 speculative with a lot of evidence there, right? So it's not it's not just way out in left field. In Mark 15:21 and here in Romans 16:13, the name Rufus is mentioned. The first mention of Rufus is in the context of the events on the day that Jesus was crucified. Due to the horrific abuse that Jesus had already undergone, so again, this would have been 30 years ago, he was unable to carry the heavy wooden cross the Roman soldiers laid upon his back. So you remember what they did? They grabbed 
or press ganged into service. Just a man standing by the side of the road. They told him he had to carry the cross of Jesus. Mark 15, 21 says, A certain man from Cyrene, his name was Simon of Cyrene, and he was the father of two sons, Alexander and Rufus. He was passing on his way home in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross of Christ. Now, in order to understand, God question says, why Simon of Cyrene was identified as being the father of Rufus, Rufus, we need to remember that Mark most likely wrote his account of Jesus' life while in Rome for Roman Christians. He would have used the names that were familiar to the church in Rome. They may not have known who Simon of Cyrene was, but they certainly knew his son Rufus. We can connect Rufus with Rome because of Paul's letter to the Romans many years later. In Romans 16, 13, as we're reading today, he wrote, Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me also. Since there are only two places in Scripture that mention the name Rufus, it is highly likely they are speaking of the same person. For these two mentions, we gather that Rufus was a believer and the son of the man named Simon who was forced to carry the cross of Jesus. It, was a, it would appear based on what Mark and Paul write, that Rufus and his family became Christians after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, God questions, it has one more paragraph, and it's worth listening to. It said this, We can only imagine the great impact that carrying Jesus' cross had on Simon of Cyrene. Did Jesus speak to Simon on that agonizing journey to Golgotha? Did Simon know whose cross he carried? And did he go home and tell his wife and sons what had happened? As part of his divine plan, God chose a man named Simon to encounter Jesus only hours before he died in order to bring salvation to Simon's household. Read Isaiah 60, 46, 11. We can only speculate about the details that follows, but we do know at some point, Rufus and his mother became Christians and were part of the church in Rome. Rufus and his brother Alexander, who is apparently also well known in the church, or Mark would not have mentioned them. And Rufus and his mother must have been quite active in ministry based on Paul's specific greeting to them. The story continues a little bit. In Acts 11.20, when, we were, when, when Paul was on his, I believe his first missionary journey, Antioch, it said men from Cyprus and Cyrene came to help the church. In Acts 19.33, it said there was a mob in Ephesus and Paul was facing this mob, but he was not alone. There was a man named Alexander who stood with him and faced the mob. The men from Cyrene were those Simon of Cyrene's family, Rufus and Alexander. Was Alexander the same one in Acts 19.33 who stood with Paul? We know that Rufus, it says here, he is chosen in the Lord, he is elect. He is a man whose mother's godliness extended beyond those of her biological children. She became a mother to others. A spiritual mother in the Lord. Helping even Paul. This is the strange and glorious workings of God's merciful providence 30 years later. Never hesitate to share the gospel. You never know how God's going to use it. And for those of you that are Christian, if you think back at the story of how you came to faith or maybe your relatives before you came to faith, those who God chose, he foreknew, he will justify, he will sanctify, and he will glorify appears that Rufus is one of those. The story of Jesus comes full circle in this. Now, verse 14. Greet Asyncreus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. These are one particular house church. Again, what we see in Rome here is there is one Roman church that met in several houses. They didn't have buildings at the time. This is one house church. Hermes is the slave, is a slave or freedman name. Verse 15, greet Philogius, Junia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. So this is a married couple or a family who had a house church full of Christians. William Barclay writes in his commentary that in AD 95, two upper class Roman Christians who had become Christians who were very distinguished Romans, were, were martyred. They were put to death in, in one of the great waves of persecution. So this would have been 30, 40 years after this letter was written. Flavius, 
Clemens and Domitilla, they were condemned. And we have in the annals of history that their champ, at their chamber, chamberlain or their servant who was in charge of the household was the name Nereus. Is this the same Nereus who's in verse 15 and his sister? Were they part of that household and they ended up leading their Roman um, masters to Christ? Or maybe it was the other way around. We don't know for sure, but certainly those names are captured. Was every one of these people a mature Christian? Were they all of the same level of maturity? Probably not. We know that. Notice all the efforts Paul had already made in chapters 13 and 14 to the conscience. He already told us that there are weak and strong Christians within the Roman church. But even a weak Christian can be beloved in the Lord and be faithful in the Lord as they grow in the faith. Think of the legacy of grace, all those seeds that had planted all those years in Jerusalem and Antioch. And as the church went out, now it's kind of converging again on Rome 30 years later before the great persecutions. The church here may not be big, but it's full of beloved people and faithful people. People are well-known and well-connected. And friends, for you young people, you stay strong in the Lord and you serve the Lord even at your young age, even in the church, and you spend time in the Word and you be a friend to others. And you will find that you may not have tons of friends like the world would have you have. You may not be You know, you may not be big on social media. In fact, maybe you should not try to be big on social media. But you will find over the years that you will find true friends. God will give those to you. You may be times where you're alone, like you're the first convert. Maybe you go off to school or you go off to a job and you you don't know anyone right away, but you join a church and you'll find over the years like Paul that you will have these beloved friendships. And if you want friends, are you a friend to others? To be a friend, you've got to... To have friends, you've got to be a friend. In Romans 16, we kind of have almost the entire book of Romans summarized. And it's summarized in human relations here. In Romans 1, we saw that sin separated. The wrong view of self, God, and a truncated view of salvation. Sin has made the world at enmity with one another and enmity with God. But the righteousness of God in Christ not only does it work to justify us before the Father, but it works here on earth. It unifies people. It gathers the flock together. Truth makes a people of God. This is what the gospel produces. Remember this. Two implications and one application. The first, we are to be faithful people. Faithfulness is not defined in how many awesome things you do. It's do you show up week after week, right? One wise pastor friend of mine said, 90, 95% of ministry is just showing up. Keeping your word, keeping your commitments. Notice how many people here were committed for their faithfulness. We don't know what that faithfulness meant, but it knew that they did what was required and they kept their word and they kept their commitments to people. That's first implication. We are to be faithful. Second, We are to actively participate in the work of the gospel and in the church. There are no anonymous people. There never can be. Join the body of Christ. Show up. Participate in what you can. And God will use your gifts. But before you use your gifts, he'll use your participation and faithfulness. I've had people that have come through here over the years and they've kind of self-proclaimed teachers, right? And... Usually, first thing when somebody tells me they're a self-proclaimed teacher, it's, oh, I wonder what, wonder what this means, right? And I've seen some of the same people that, boy, you're not going to teach here if you can't show up regularly, if you can't join, if you want be faithful, if you want to participate. You don't, you don't get that right. You know, teaching and public ministry comes out of regular faithfulness. It's character that's built. But I tell you what, over the years, I've seen that sometimes the people that, um, tend to have the, the most influence in the right way are not always the one that's preaching or teaching, but it's the ones who are faithfully serving and being friends and checking on people when they're in the hospital or praying for people or getting to know the young people. I remember that from growing up. I grew up in a, a church and I remember 
the faithful couples and the older people who knew my name. I didn't necessarily know a lot about them, but I knew they were there all the time. And I remember that was what marked being a faithful Christian. They were evangelizing. They were participating. Be faithful. Actively participate. And third, finally, and this is the only commandment. Some of you, it's your favorite commandment. Some of you, it makes you a little nervous. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I know Andy said he couldn't wait till after this to apply this commandment. He's going to start with his wife, you know, of course. But, um, um, <laughs> greet one another with a holy kiss. Another way you can translate this, today it's translated, greet one another affectionately, right? Back in that culture, there was some sense of, you know, I mean, Roman, Italian, right? Maybe it was the, you know, kiss each other on the cheek like you see in the mafia movies or whatever. But uh, it was a warm and affectionate greeting, whatever that meant. The applica- It's a commandment here. There's the one commandment in this passage. The one application. The other is an implication. The one application is greet one another with affection, with warmth. Now, I want to mention this by implication. Look at this, verse 16 again. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches in Christ greet you. There's a popular and dominant sentiment today within evangelicalism regarding how one comes to church. There's a sentiment that says this. It doesn't matter how you dress or if you're prepared at all. The the highest value is if you can just be yourself and be authentic. Wear your emotions. Whatever mood you are in, don't fake it because that would be wrong. I just read a post yesterday about commending, you know, families whose kids run all over the church service. That's totally okay. They're being authentic, right? They're being real. While they're running around like maniacs. So just be who you are. Whatever you feel like, just that's, that's how you're to show up, Right? Let me say that, that that sounds incredibly spiritual because we have this thing against any sense of, of faking it or works righteousness or any amount of the idea of duty. We, we have this idea that I'm not going to do anything unless I totally feel it. So the, the opposite of that would be just, you know, the, the highest value is just wear it all on your sleeves. Be who you are. Don't fake it until you make it, so to speak. Here in other places in Scripture, Paul doesn't hold to that sentiment. He doesn't say, if you feel like it, greet one another with a holy kiss. He doesn't say, if you're having a good day, greet one another with a holy kiss. This word means affectionate or warmly or in good spirits. Paul asks for greetings for them, and he calls them beloved often. This is a requirement and a command. If you, if you don't feel like greeting one another, do it anyway with a warm smile. The feeling will come after you do your duty. This is why when we take communion, and we're going to take communion in a few minutes, one thing we do, and, and, and this is deliberate, we, we face one another at the benediction. We face one another while we sing the doxology. Why is that? Because the blood of Jesus Christ Not only did it make us right with God the Father, but it gave us one another, made us right with one another. And when we have Christ in common, not only do we have everything in common, but we can actually affectionately learn to be friends with one another. So, when you come to church, prepare yourself, but come saying, you know what, whatever I feel like, I will serve others. I will be warm towards others. Now that means, that doesn't mean that if you're having a bad day and you've got something really tough in your life, you don't share that with others. There's an appropriate place for, obviously, confession and, and sorrow and things like that. But the general rule should be, look, how am I going to come and be excited to see people? Everybody's a little different in how they do that. But the commandment is for all Christians here. Paul was a brilliant man, a scholar. I think sometimes we get this stereotype of him that said, man, he was just this, like, you know, if you were if you were beaten as many times as, as he was and you faced lies a lot, you might be a little cranky and guarded too. <laughs> but yet this is, in one sense, the power of the God at work in his life is seen in a passage like this. If there's anything but a cynicism towards God's people. He'd been betrayed by people. He had seen everybody in Asia Minor desert him, and yet 
Look at the warmth of his greeting. The one he says, you extend this to one another. He's just talked about, you're going to have weak and strong Christians within your midst. And here's how you don't cause anyone to stumble. And then now in the next verse, he's going to say, watch out for divisive people. But in the meantime, he says, when you see each other, greet each other warmly. For love covers a multitude of sins and warm love covers even more than that. Why? Why do we face one another? Why do we greet each other warmly? Because we are blood-bought, elected from before creation family. We are an eternal family. A gospel family who is adopted by the Father. We will greet each other. We will persevere together. We will face lions together if that is what God calls us to do. But in the Lord, put on a happy face when you see your fellow believers in Christ. Let me pray. Oh, dear Father, I pray that God, that you would, Father, help us to desire to make a list like Paul would have made. Father, help us to evaluate our lives and ask ourselves, would we be somebody who is known as a faithful Christian? We'd be somebody that Paul wants to send greetings to. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this blood-bought body of believers, and I pray that you would help us, Father, to Greet one another warmly. I thank you for the hall of faith that is in this passage and all the implications. I pray that even these young children at a young age would learn to serve one another, would put on Christ's likeness. Father, I think and pray that as even in the midst today, there are people at all different levels of age, maturity, different social settings, different financial circumstances, even different health circumstances. We think of those who are absent today, who are sick those who are in difficult and hardships, those who are here today and they're uncomfortable because of pain. Lord, I pray that in all things you would give us the strength with one another. Help us to love one another. Thank you for your love that is in Jesus Christ, for the eternal peace that we have with us. In your name.